0: To Matthew chapter 9 Well, oh, Matthew chapter 8 it is actually We'll be in the back end of chapter 8 This is the 1st of March 2015 We're going to be starting in chapter 8 Around verse 23 We looked at last week when Chapter 8 When Jesus was Back and back down from the mount of The the attitudes, the sermon on the mount and he was back amongst the people and he was beginning to put his words into action he started to heal the people, he started to just touch people with his life touch people with the goodness of God and his reputation started to grow even at that time and at the end of that passage at verse 18 we saw two men coming to Jesus asking that if they could follow Jesus and one of them, you know, he said, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus said to him, well, you know, you have to really count the cost. The birds of the air have nests to live in and the, the foxes have dens to live in. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if that's what you want to do, then you have to virtually put all the worldly things aside and concentrate on the spiritual things. And another man came to him and said, I'll follow you anywhere. But first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, you know, there's a cost to following me as well. You have to count that cost. You have to look at it and say, well, if his father was truly dead, in the physical sense then, in the Middle East custom, they would have buried him on that day. And there would have been no tether to hold the man back. But really what he was saying is, let me put my father's, they stay in order. It might be 10 years hence, it might be 20 years hence before my father dies, but let me do that. Let me put it all in order and then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. And he wasn't meaning to be adverse or or abrupt with that. What he was saying was there are more important things in life than just looking after your physical needs. Both of these men wanted to follow Jesus But they were not prepared to count the cost. And we have to count the cost. And immediately after that, in verse 23, as we start here, we'll find that Jesus starts to build up to the cost of bringing this heart of God to the people, to the Jewish people. Because it was not well received. It was certainly not well received amongst the, the religious people. This man, this this carpenter, this rabbi from Galilee who was going around and healing people and touching people and, and telling them extraordinary things that they actually marveled at. They couldn't believe that this was the heart of God, that this was... Where, where has this been all their life? What have the Pharisees and the Sadducees been up to? People used to sit and listen to the Pharisees having an argument or a discussion about certain portions of the Bible would get that situation where they would maybe sit around a dinner table and they would literally have have stands around the dinner table and people would sit in the stands, their disciples etc and they would argue the points backwards and forwards and you know some of the things that they argued as I've said before you know they would argue how many parts per million of yeast had to be in bread before it was leavened bread or unleavened bread and, and Jesus said you know that's a load of rubbish you know it's just you need to understand the heart of God. You need to know that God's for people and not for rules and regulations. So verse 23, we find that Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Now in verse 18, when he saw the crowd, he had gave orders that he wanted to cross the Sea of Galilee to get away from the crowd. He couldn't get away on the shore, so he had to escape by sea. The Sea of Galilee is not a big place, it's but 13 miles long and 8 miles wide at its widest. And you can literally, from any point in the Sea of Galilee, you can see the whole circumference of the thing. Provided the weather's kind of reasonable. So Jesus, in verse 23, got into a boat and his disciples followed him. And without warning, a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. So we've got a situation here where Jesus wanted to get away from the crowd by boat so he stepped into the boat and off they went to the other side. Now this was probably somewhere around Capernaum that he was leaving from and probably sailing to somewhere over the other side maybe around Tiberius or wherever. Although he never actually set foot in Tiberias not that we know of but somewhere around there. And so a furious storm came now I don't know whether many of you know the geography of that part of Israel but the Sea of Galilee sits 600 and odd feet below sea level and it flows down into the Dead Sea which sits 1200 feet below sea level. It's actually the start of the great African Rift Valley that comes right down through the, the Middle East and spreads over uh, through, through the African continent there are two extinct volcanoes just behind Tiberius on the, on the western shore of the lake and there's two pillars, the, the X sort of cones of the volcano if you want to call it they're called the horns of Hatton and uh, not Tatton, Hatton <laughs> I can be a devil but not that man the horns of Hatton and if the, if the the wind blows from the, 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 the Mediterranean Sea which is basically a cooler wind because it's come across the ocean and it's, and, it's, and it's moist because it's come up from the sea and it's cool. It tends to lie close to the ground, flow down between these these horns of Hatton as they talk about. And the warm air that has been evaporated off the surface of the Sea of Galilee flows up and you get this Cold air suddenly diving underneath the warm air as it sinks down. And it can produce a storm within half an hour. You can be standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and it's perfectly flat, calm, and within half an hour there's nine foot waves in it. Believe me, there are nine foot waves in the Sea of Galilee. And that seems to be what happens here. But what we've got to understand here is that the disciples were so afraid you can read this throughout all the Gospels they were so afraid that Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat this thing's bobbing up and down this small boat, this open boat the waves swept over the boat but Jesus was sleeping and the disciples went and woke him saying Lord save us we're going to drown now these guys most of them were experienced fishermen they knew what it was like for a storm to come down in the Sea of Galilee they were quite well aware What can happen in the Sea of Galilee when the wind and the geography conspire together? But there was something different about this storm. It was such a ferocity in it that even they were afraid for their lives. And these guys were guys who had grown up and fished the Sea of Galilee every day of their lives. So, what was going on here? Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There's an inference here, and many commentators will commentate that, that there's something spiritual about this storm. You see, when Jesus stepped into the boat, he said, let's go to the other side of the lake. Now that was the word of God. Let's go to the other side of the lake. It could not be refuted it could not be put down that was God's word to the people let's go to the other side of the lake and Satan in all his fury decided well we'll sort this we'll drown a lot of them and that'll be the end of them if we drown Jesus and all the disciples that's the end of this part of the story so as they came into this ferocious sea there was no way back for them I mean they, they were probably only at any stage maybe a mile or two miles offshore. But such was the ferocity that they went to Jesus and they they woke him up and said, Lord, you'll need to do something. We're going to drown. And in another gospel he says, oh, you have little faith. And he rebuked him for it. And then he stood up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. Do you notice the order that was done? He didn't rebuke the wind and the waves and then tell the guys off for their bad faith. He rebuked their faith first. He said, oh, you have little faith. Watch and I'll show you. And then I rebuke the wind and the waves. And here we have a situation where this man, Jesus, was shown his authority over creation. He was shown his authority over creation because he was the creator. By him all things were made and through him nothing has been made that has been made. And these men, these disciples in the boat with him, these close confidants, they were amazed. What kind of man is this? That even the wind and the waves are bearing we can't, we can't contemplate that we, we just you know, we, we look at the weather and we think oh, it's a bad day can God not change the weather if it suits him to do so of course he can God controls the weather and here there was no way that that boat was ever going to be sunk or put to the bottom of the sea of Galilee because Jesus has said let's go to the other side and that boat was going irrespective of what came against it so when they got to the other side, at verse twenty-eight, <coughs> excuse me, they arrived in the region of the Gadarenes, and two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Excuse me. So they got out of the boat on the other side. And here they're confronted with two demon-possessed men. In the other Gospels, some of them just talk about one demon-possessed man. And the reason they do that is because it's sometimes the, sort of, the Greek grammar uh, apportions all the, 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 the words to the one guy, even if there's two guys there. If the one guy says nothing, then he'll, he'll be ignored, in some measure as being part of the conversation. But here Matthew includes them. There were two, and one of them seemed to do all the talking. They were so violent. It tells us in the other Gospels that people chained them up and they could break chains. There was such a superhuman strength in them, such a demonic strength in them. And people knew that these guys were demon possessed. And we talk about it and we get a bit upset sometimes about demon possession. But as I said to you last week, the people in the Galilee at this point in time, the Jews and the Gentiles who were part of this, this region of Judea and Samaria they were heavily into magic although they pretend to worship God and all the rest of it and we'll see that as this story progresses but they were heavily into magic and leaving themselves wide open to to this sort of demonic attack but these guys there were breaking chains and, and they actually came and said to Jesus you're the son of God have you come here to torture us before the appointed time so there is a time coming when the demons will be tortured. They'll be thrown into the pit of hell. And from there there will be no there'll be no coming back. But some distance from them a large herd of pigs at verse 30 was feeding. And the demons begged Jesus. If you drive us out send us into the herd of pigs. So we've got this herd of pigs in the middle of a, a Jewish nation. Which is a bit bizarre. Considering that the Jews considered pigs to be unclean but there was a a large Gentile population in this part of the world but it still shows in some measure the attitude of the Jews towards their own uh, dietary laws the fact that they would allow pigs to be kept in the area so there's a lot going on here there's a lot of backsliding a lot of falling away there's a lot of lip service to God but there's not a lot of heart service to God but it's coming it's coming back. The people are starting to, to feel that this guy, this Jesus, he can bring something into our lives that, that we've been short of for so long. And notice here, that demons don't have to be particularly um, spoken to harshly. They begged Jesus. And you find that in other They begged him. They didn't do anything until he gave them the authority to do it. They begged him, can we go into the pigs? send us into the herd of pigs and he said to them go verse 32 so they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died or drowned in the water those tending the pigs ran off went into the town and reported all this including what had happened to the demon possessed men then the whole town went out to meet Jesus and when they saw him they pleaded with him to leave the region the one good thing about the demons going into the pigs was that it gave an indication to the men who were demon possessed that they were no longer demon-possessed. Jesus always seemed to want to present the proof to them. And we'll see that as this continues. If we had just said to these demons, and, and, and we know for another gospel that he actually asked it he asked the demon its name, what, what is your name? And they said Legion. Now we spoke about that last week. A legion was six thousand men, so we're coming up with 6,000 demons in this guy or whatever but Jesus didn't have to go through them one by one and kind of cast them out neither did he have to shout and bawl at them and, and do all sorts of hand takes with them he just spoke to them and said go and they went and, and the, the, the thing that these men saw was the fact that they went into the pigs and the pigs ran down the hill and drowned and it was an affirmation to them that the demons were gone it would be very easy. How many times, how many times have, we, have we thought that things that were wrong in our life have passed, passed away from our lives but we've no really any proof of it? And Satan will come along and say, aye, aye, you think you've got rid of that but you've no got rid of that. You know, you think you've got rid of that habit? No, you've no got rid of that habit. And it's one of these things that, that Jesus proved to these guys. The demons are out here. They're in the pigs. The pigs have run down the hill and they've all drowned and the people came out from the town the surrounding town <coughs> excuse me and I would have thought you know, that the people would have rejoiced in Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel it tells us that when they came out they found these guys sitting at the feet of Jesus fully clothed and in the right mind and a, a cause for rejoicing a cause for celebrity what's happened here That's these guys and you wanted to say Jesus beat it we don't want you here you're a stirrer you cause trouble and that's one of the great things that I think about this story that, that just sometimes I'm amazed at Jesus never got off the beach he got out of the boat he was confronted with these demon possessed men that came out of the graveyards and, and lived amongst the dead and when he had healed them the people came running out and said oh just go away and leave us we don't want to know and how many times do we see that in the lives of people Who have been truly blessed by God. In many different ways. Blessed that we're even born in this country. And yet we tell Jesus, go away. We don't need you. We don't want to thank you for what you've done. We just want you to go away, Jesus. And so Jesus stepped into the boat again at the start of chapter 9. And he crossed over and came to his own town. Now his own town was Capernaum. That was, although he was born in Nazareth, he'd made his, if you read the Gospels, I don't want to go into it just now, but he, he made his, his home in Capernaum. He often stayed at Peter's house, it would appear. So he came to his own town, and some men brought him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now this is the story where Jesus was in the house, and there were so many people Pressing in, that these guys had turned up with a stretcher with their, with their friend on it who was a paralytic. And in that way, wasn't a drunk, but he was just paralytic. Um, sorry. Um, but they actually went up on the roof and they dug a hole in the roof and lowered them down into the roof. And, and Jesus looked up and he said to them, You know, he says, I admire your faith. And this guy who was on the stretcher, I can just imagine the atmosphere in that room somebody pawing through the roof and lowering this guy in a stretcher I can just imagine the silence falling in the room what's going to happen next and Jesus said to him cheer up son your sins are forgiven and at this some of the teachers of the law said to themselves this fellow is blaspheming here's the start here's the start of the cost that Jesus would pay here's the start, this, this, first of all they're accusing them of blasphemy and they were thinking it and Jesus knowing their thoughts at verse 4 why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart which is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk now what we have to understand in this is that the Jewish establishment and most of the Jewish people at this time it's linked sickness and sin very much if there was sickness in your life, it was because of sin in your life. That was it. That was the bottom line. Right? Now, you've got to understand that. There was such a, 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 a link here between sickness and sin. So which was it easier to do? Tell this man your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Now, if the man gets up and walks and his sickness was linked to sin, then if he gets up and walks, his sins are forgiven. If his sins are forgiven, then he can stand up and walk. So Jesus has got them both ways. The the Jewish establishment are struggling here because they're asking Jesus not to say that his sins are forgiven. And Jesus says, well, what shall I tell him? Shall I tell him to go up and walk? Because if I do that and he stands up, then you'll know that his sins are forgiven. And that was why they talked about him being blasphemous. Because only God could forgive sin. And here we have this man, Jesus, saying, But I am God, and I can forgive sin. But so that you may know, at verse 6, that the Son of Man has authority enough to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. The Jewish establishment had no answer. All they wanted now This was the start This was the the first of the needles they were going to put in This was the blasphemy This man is blasphemous Irrespective of what he does or what he says This man is blasphemous It's interesting here that we talk about Our sins being forgiven when we ask Jesus To come into our lives and we're washed in the blood Here this man's sins were forgiven And the man I suppose effectively came to that point Where he was born again not just in the physical but in the spiritual as well this was one of the first of those who would become born again and we have this situation here I just you know, I'm always amazed at these things because this man was taken out by his friends in a stretcher and lowered down in a roof and then he comes back to his home and he's jumping around and shouting and bawling and saying, I'm healed him I mean I just can't imagine the reaction of his family what a tremendous blessing it must have been to them to see this man who we don't know how long he'd been a paralytic as many commentators believe he may have been paralytic since he was born but there was an emphasis on here that the disease was such that if he didn't get sorted out very quickly he was going to die the inference is there these men were in such a, a state of alertness we to get this man to Jesus because if we don't get him to Jesus, he's going to die. And then at verse 9, we find Jesus making his way through Capernaum and, and maybe along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. In verse 9, as he went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. It's possible this is this Matthew that wrote this gospel. This is him giving his own testimony as to the call of God in his life. Like all the other disciples, I think Matthew probably knew about Jesus before he actually was called to be part of it. Part of this great ministry. But do you notice when Matthew was called, when James and John were called, they didn't say, well, let me go and bury my father. Or... I would follow you, but you know, I need somewhere nice to stay, you know, you need to get me a nice hotel or, or a wee boarding house, you know, for moving around. They just put down what they had. God had already put that hand in their life. They just put down what they had and they went and followed Jesus. And while Jesus at verse ten was having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, the word sinners was the word that the, that the Jewish establishment used for somebody that was not up to their standard. That was anybody that was not up to their self righteous standard was considered to be a sinner. So they came and ate with the disciples. And when the Pharisees saw that this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So basically, here we have in this first instance, he was accused of blasphemy. Now he's accused of the fact that he has no spiritual piety at all. He's in amongst the riffraff and the scruff. He's in amongst the publicans. So they're accusing him of this as well. Why does he, you know, the Pharisees don't do that. and The disciples of the Pharisees wouldn't think of going and sitting down with these people. These are the people that God wants to save. These are the great harvest that Jesus spoke about. The fields are white unto harvest. These are the people. Not the self-righteous, not the churchgoers, not the people who think that they're saved. The people who are out there, the junkies and the drug addicts and the people who have no hope in life. These are the people that Jesus came to save. And on hearing this Jesus said It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick Go and learn what it means I desire mercy and not sacrifice For I have not come to call the righteous But sinners That's a quotation from Hosea And you can look that one up for yourself But really it was a Hosea in the time When the people were apostate And all they wanted to do To get things right was to offer sacrifice After sacrifice But they would never come before God and be repentant and ask for that mercy and that's what Jesus was trying to say to them you know don't think that sacrifices and the law will get you brownie points with God it won't mercy comes into this situation I've not come to call the righteous and what he meant by righteous was the self-righteous those who are righteous in their own heart didn't call it come them but sinners people like you and I who would recognize who we are that there's no good thing in us except that which God has put there recognizing that Jesus said these are the people that will inherit the kingdom of God so he was accused of blasphemy and then he was accused of a lack of piety amongst the people and then John's disciples came and asked him how is it verse 14, that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. A hint as to how Jesus would die, or the fact that he would have to die. So they ask him about fasting. They ask him about his, his spirituality, because... Fasting and spirituality were very closely linked again in the Jewish psyche. If you were a good person and you fasted regularly then you were a good guy and God would be pleased with you. The Pharisees were they were so pious in their own eyes that they would fast on a Monday because it was a market day. Mondays were market days so they fasted on a Monday so that so they could walk about the markets and, and have their heads kind of put a flower on their face and look kind of ill and that you know I look at me I'm fasting you know I'm so pious and I'm so and then they would fast a, because, sorry, because that became such a popular thing a group of them broke away and said well we're even more spiritual than that we're going to fast on a Thursday as well so they ended up fasting on a Monday and a Thursday and Jesus laughed at it and said this is not the point. You know, you've got the bridegroom. You know, the first time he actually talks about the people being a bride to Christ, the bridegroom is here. We don't have a fast at a wedding. I mean, if you're going to start a diet, you don't start the diet the day before the wedding, do you? You don't sit there when the steak pies come around. You say, "I'm sorry, I'll I not bother with that." Well, I don't anyway. And that's really what Jesus was telling them. You know, cheer up. You know, don't go around. Your face is twisted and, and your clothes torn. I'm here, I'm here with you. And I wonder if these disciples of John, who were, who, who really, in some measure, should have known who Jesus was. Because it was John the Baptist who had baptized Jesus, if we remember. No one sews an, an unshrunk cloth at verse 16 on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins if they do the skins will burst the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined well they pour wine into new wineskins and both are preserved you know this is really talking about being born again it's just a it's a way that Jesus would put it he put it in everyday language he tells it as people would know nobody would think about taking an old wineskin and taking a brand new bit of, of, of untanned leather and stitching up the hole because the first time you put any fluid into it, that new piece would start to shrink and it would just tear away for the old stuff because the old stuff outside isn't flexible enough now I'm talking about these kind of goat skin things with a cork in the end, you know, they used to take the stomach of a goat and plug it with a cork and that's what Jesus was saying, you know you have to be born again, there has to be a newness in you before that new wine of the Holy Spirit can be poured into you. It's not that he's excluding anybody. He says you just, you can't have it. You can't have it if you're not born again. You have to be flexible. You have to be able to receive what God has given you and just to let it flow into you and expand you and make you into something that God wants you to be. If you pour new wine into, new, new wine into old wineskins skins. <coughs> that second fermentation that occurs in a wine and produces a bit of carbon dioxide it'll start to stretch the skins and because they're old skins they'll just burst and not only do you lose the skin but you lose the wine as well so you must be born again there's no other way there must be a newness in you before God can pour that Holy Spirit into you This interesting point <coughs> excuse me from that last little passage that Matthew was termed as being the son of Alphaeus and we have another one if you look up the disciples lists. James the lesser to distinguish him from the brother of John James the lesser was a son of Alphaeus as well so there there is a point here that that, uh, James the lesser and Matthew might have been brothers but I'll leave that one with you and while he was saying this so Jesus is telling these people basically you must be born again And at verse 18, while he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. The other gospels say that the daughter was dying. This one says the daughter had died. I'm not exactly sure which one is totally correct, but... There's been obviously a problem with the translation here. But the, the girl was either extremely sick and on the point of death or she had already died. And it may well have been. I, mean, I, I don't know whether you ever come across dead bodies or whatever and I don't want to dwell on it, but it's sometimes very difficult uh, to find a pulse or to find a breath and then all of a sudden they take a breath and you say gosh I thought they were dead and they're not dead I remember a story from and a true story of this not that I would tell you a lie Um, there was a, a pathologist in the United States who these are the guys that do the post mortems and they cut them from here to here and open them up and determine the cause of death etc and this body had been brought in and of course it was on its trolley and the guy had laid it out and he got his mic all hitched up and he put the scalpel in here and the guy sat up and said what are you doing? and the unfortunate thing was the pathologist dropped dead with a heart attack but the boy wasn't dead there was some sort of catatonic thing that had happened that that the actual pain of the knife digging into him had just sparked things back into life again but the poor guy who was doing the the autopsy had actually... uh, Killed over and died anyway it's just something to cheer you up um, <laughs> so we find Jesus while he's walking along the road he's telling these people about you know new wineskin and old wine and all the rest of it and the crowd are following him and while he was saying this we, we know that from other gospels this was Jairus um, who was a ruler of the synagogue he wasn't a, a Roman ruler etc he was a ruler of the synagogue so he was high up and yet here he was humbling himself before Jesus Christ I'm sure that at the end of the day he must have caught a lot of argument from the Pharisees and the Sadducees about actually going to this man Jesus and asking him for help he was beginning to find the cost Jairus would find the cost of following Jesus was a social cost that he would be an outcast but he would have his daughter back amongst him Come and put your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And she said to herself, If only I touch the cloak I will be healed. Now this was one of these things again. The magical things that they believed at this point in time. Many people believed that the rabbis some rabbis had had a a magical property to the hem of their garment now this garment this indicates to us that Jesus was like any other rabbi and dressed in the same way he would have an undergarment he would have an overgarment and then he would put on what was called the tallet which was like a poncho and it had these fringes round the bottom and the fringes there were 613 knots that made up the fringes Uh, the 613 notes were an an indication in the number of laws that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb and uh, as they banged off his legs he would be reminded that these laws would be uh, in their hearts and in their minds if you want to call it that, that was when they started to wear the phylacteries and, and the we have seen them in Israel with the the leather pouches that they put in their heads and their arms. They took it literally when God meant it spiritually. Anyway, here we have a situation where this woman thought that if I touch the hem of his talit, you know, there'll be some magical thing, I'll be cured. And she did touch him. And she was healed. But from the other Gospels we gathered that Jesus just didn't let it go. As, as might be indicated here he looked around and he said to the disciples somebody touched me because power has gone out from me and the disciples said Jesus what, what are you asking there's, there's a thousand people around you here oh, somebody touched you he says yes yeah, somebody touched me and eventually he found a woman who touched him and he told her to come forward now You would think, that's an awful embarrassing thing for Jesus to do. This woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and was basically unclean. She would never be allowed to enter the synagogue because she was bleeding. And she would never be allowed to be part of any social group because she was bleeding. And she was completely ostracised. Now many people in that crowd obviously didn't realise what a problem was. Because it was a very private thing. And the last thing... If I had been the woman, the last thing I would have wanted was for somebody to highlight her. Come here. But she came and Jesus said to her, and this is the inference in this passage, it's no magic that's healed you Hen. Your faith has healed you. Put the magical things aside. Your faith has healed you. And you know, you get the same situation if you want to read it in John chapter 9 with the blind man, the man that was born blind. And Jesus took the mud and put it in his eyes. Well, there was this magic tradition that some rabbis had a magical property in their saliva. And Jesus did it. He mixed the saliva on the ground, just the same as he did here. And he put it in the guy's eyes and he said, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Go to the pool, which means the one who was sent. That's what Siloam means. And he went and washed, and he could see again. But Jesus didn't leave it at that. He's one of the only situations where Jesus went and found the guy. After he'd been questioned by the Pharisees, and he said to him, he says, do you know who it is that healed you? And he says, no, but if I did know, I would rejoice and worship him. He says, well, the one you're looking at, Because he'd never seen Jesus before. He was blind the last time he came across him. And Jesus said. It's your faith. It's nothing to do with the mud in the eyes. That's just a piece of nonsense. It's your faith that's made you whole. And you know. We always talk about. it. We always think. Well is it because I don't get healed. That I've got lack of faith. Just remember. That faith is a gift of God. We don't have faith. We've enough faith probably to get us to the foot of the cross. And that's about it. Beyond that it has to be a gift of God it has to be something that God puts there that's the faith that comes through believing take heart he says to this woman in other words cheer up same as he said to the paralytic your faith has healed you and the woman was healed from that moment in verse 23 when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd he said go away the girl is not dead but asleep but they laughed at him after the crowd had been put outside he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up and news of this spread throughout all the region so his reputation is beginning to rise but he ends up going to Jairus' house and he finds that when he gets there irrespective of whether she was dead before the Jairus came to him or whether she had died in the interim the, the girl was dead or so they said they'd even got the mourners in They'd hired the mourners. This was the flute players, and you've probably seen it today in a Middle Eastern funeral, whether it be Islamic or Jewish. They've got people there that do all the wailing, they oh, and they're all up there giving it audibles, and they're playing the flutes. And Jesus said, "Put that away. The girl's not dead; she's just sleeping." And they laughed at him. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. But Jesus didn't take her outside and say, right, lay her there and get everybody gathered around. Watch this. Right, up you get, girl. He sent the people away. Why? I believe because of their unbelief. They laughed at him. Out you go. If you don't want part of God, then go away. He took a few disciples in with him. We don't know what happened. We don't know how it happened, but the, the witness is that he took her hand got up and she got up and she walked and she was well and news of it spread throughout all the region I'm, I'm quite sure news of the healing of the paralytic spread throughout all the region I'm quite sure that, that, that news of the, this girl being dead and raised for the dead spread throughout all the region it's just one of these amazing things that God does the ministry continues and here once again you know The people, the Pharisees were unhappy. Who can raise the dead? Only God can raise the dead. And once again, the blasphemy allegation comes in. So here we have Jesus who has laid aside the cost of his ministry. His ministry continues full bore, irrespective of what the religious people of the day think. And that's something that we have to learn from. You will get criticism. You will get persecution. But don't be like the guy who wanted to go and bury his father. Don't make that an excuse for not following Jesus. Lay aside the physical things of this life. God will supply them for you. And get on with following the Lord. Get on with showing that faith that he's put in you. That you might be the people that God has called us to be. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this good day. We thank you that and all of these things, Lord you are God over all things you're God over creation you're God over illness Lord you're God over death and Lord we thank you for that this morning we thank you that at the end of the day Lord as I said before you never consider death in the same way we do Lord we see it as a loss and yet you see it as a blessing Lord a time when we come to you and there will be no more crying and no more dying no more sickness and no more death and so, God, we give you thanks for that this morning. Encourage our hearts, Lord. Help us to look at these, these incidents in the life of Jesus, Lord. And just help us, Lord, to understand them a bit better, to look a bit further, to take us a bit deeper into who you are, Lord, because you're endless. You know the beginning from the end, Father. So, Lord, bless this. Bless this passage to us this morning. Bless your people with peace, Lord. And I thank you for them now in Jesus' name. Amen. If any